Want to advertise your business in a cost-effective way? It's time to give podcast advertising a try. Research shows a high rate of podcast listeners made a purchase as a result of an ad they heard on a podcast. Visit podbean.com slash brands to launch a cost-effective podcast advertising campaign in minutes. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash brands. Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. Hey guys, welcome back. Uh, another episode here of Yolitics. Uh, my colleague Jason Wheeler joining me right now. Uh, Jason, what, what kind of beer do you have there in the audio booth at the television station? Well, you've got me. You've got me today uh, because you're going to be able to have one, and I'm not. I I don't have a beer here at work. I don't I don't keep a little stash like maybe you do, and I am still going into the office every day. Who doesn't keep day. a stash? I see you there at the comforts Who of your own home. Who doesn't keep a stash at work, man? I I have. Um, I'm going to start us out here with a um, devil's backbone. Have you had this before? I have yeah, had that, it's, actually. It's, uh, it's pretty good. Yeah. It's a heavier beer. You like the heavier beers, so I'm drinking this in honor of you because I, I realize you can't have one today. This is from Real Ale Brewing in Blanco, Texas, or Blanco. 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 They say Blanco my, here in Texas. We've been we through have. this. They, we always say it the wrong way My eight-year-old corrected me. So, He's Blanco. He's taking Spanish lessons, so um, he corrected me last episode. Well, you have a swig for me there, too, while you're at it, and just be sure to rub that in. And I don't like the, the heavier beers. It's just that I keep buying them. Uh, I, I like the lighter well, ones. I, uh, but but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it clean here. I've got a cup of water because I'm at the television right. station today, uh, really doing the work. Let, let, uh, let, me, but, let me give you some ammo to start out this episode because okay. I, I, I'm normally piling on your back, and I go to bed at night. I don't feel like that I can sleep well because I feel like I make fun of you too much. Uh, but, but I'll give you this no. ammo. Um, so when I was a kid, it's probably I was six, five, six, seven years old. Um, there was a TV show that I loved before Chips came out with Ponch and John, and this TV show. Okay, you're dating yourself now. Yeah, well, now. you're Here only four go. days apart from me, so you, you probably remember this show too. It's called <laughs> BJ and the Bear. It yes, was I do a guy named BJ McKay. He's a young guy with a beard. Yes. He traveled the country hauling freight, and he had a chimpanzee, and somehow they always and that was the bear. Yeah, that was the bear. And somehow they always like, ended up solving crimes. But what yes. I liked about the show, besides the big, cool red truck, was the fact that he was traveling all over the place. He's on the road constantly. Freedom. And, it's freedom. And so for the longest time, I wanted to be a semi-driver and, and drive across the country for the longest time. And then Ponch and John came on the scene with chips. I wanted to be a motorcycle member of the California Highway Patrol, but um, that didn't pan out either. So that leads into our guest today. <laughs> So that you can have that for later on, Wheeler. You can use that one later. Oh, that's, that's I'm, cool. I'm cooking all kinds of things with that. And I'm glad that you didn't choose a motorcycle or an 18-wheeler because I don't think you're qualified <laughs> for not. either. Our, our, our guest today uh, knows all about life on the road. It's uh, a, a journalist named Chris Moody, and he is joining us from the uh, great state of Tennessee, Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we're going to talk with Chris. How's it going, first of all, man? It's great to be here, gentlemen. Thanks for having me on the show. Chris, do you have a beer as well? Am I the only one without... I'm sorry, I'm drinking water today. Ah, we're yeah. united in our cups of water. <laughs> killing me here. Uh, so, I, I'm so, still dry from Lent. I haven't gone out and bought any beer. So, it, you know, oh, wow. uh, okay. got to get to the grocery right. store. 
adding a few days on to it there. That's great. Um, so, so here's the thing. Chattanooga is a beautiful place. Uh, and I'm wondering, are you, are you staying there for a little while or are you just passing through? I, I, I imagine you pass through a lot of places. Well, we came here uh, as a result of COVID. Uh, we had li- my wife and I lived in New York City right as COVID came in uh, to the city. And uh, we ended up driving south just to get out and ended up here in Chattanooga. And we like it so much that we're hoping to stay. But life hmm. is dynamic these days you never know but that that is our goal chris is uh, this is a magnificent yeah city. It, it's a gorgeous place there in the uh, the foothills of the smoky mountains uh, i have a lot of family from not too far uh, up i-24 there on eagle mountain um which is between nashville and chattanooga but chris is a journalist chris has been with cnn he's he's written for uh what washington post uh abc vice uh all all kinds of of different publications but there was an article he wrote for the new republic that really caught our attention because it has a pretty interesting uh texas angle in it but it, it talks all about this new craze that's out there with people who are are living on the road they are buying rvs they are converting vans um, and, and just getting out on the road for a number of reasons. So that's why I wanted to have you on, Chris. But specifically, you found this very unique place in Livingston, Texas, which is just north of Houston. Um, and I, I want you to explain what this place is, and it's called the Escapees RV Club. The name, I don't know about the name, where it came from. I presumed you're escaping life, but there's a lot of prisons around Livingston, too, which I, I kind of <laughs> cracked up about the name, too. But h- how'd you come across this, man? Well, I had been living in a van with my wife. Uh, we built out a 72-square-foot cargo van with uh, solar panels and running water, and we basically gave away just about all of our possessions, sold what we could, and we moved into this, I guess you could call it a tiny house on wheels, and lived in it for two years, traveled about forty to 50,000 miles, and came across, as you might imagine, a number of uh, distinct American subcultures. And one of those was the growing group of what are now called digital nomads, people mm-hmm. who are living full-time on the road, but also working. This is kind of an offshoot of uh, the typical RV retiree that you think about right. when you think about somebody who lives and travels in an RV, maybe the grandparents you visited up in the Smoky Mountains or on you know some coast somewhere where they would you know put together a little fence outside their RV and just that's where they would live. Mm-hmm. But now that technology is really caught up uh, to the culture in a way that allows people uh, to live wherever they want while they're working, it has opened up this opportunity for people who are not of retirement age to say, hey, why do I pay a mortgage? Why do I pay high rents for this city? I'm going to build out my RV or van and live in it full time. Uh, And so that brought me to this group that has been around for a long time, many decades, as you mentioned, the Escapees RV Club. And it's in the woodlands of southeast Texas. um, And their main headquarters is there in in the woods. And there's this one building where about 10,000 people live on paper. And Hmm. what I mean by that is that they have their domicile in this one building in Texas where all of their mail goes. And we're talking an 18-wheeler semi-truck every day backs down into this building delivering tens of thousands of pieces of mail where 10,000 or so people 
live but never go and you wrote about this <laughs> and you wrote about this in the article that uh, you know originally the the regular post office down there was handling the mail but so many people are living in this rv community there that they did start sending this specially outfitted 18 wheeler this isn't just a typical mail truck this actually has no. like a sorter in it right so this is we're talking like the ones you see you know heavy hauling down the road right 18 wheel and it it's pretty much full every day is six days a week delivers the mail where it is put into a sorter um and then they have there's this one amazing room that i got access to in the back where there are workers walking <laughs> through these long um i want to call them rows where they're they're hanging file folders and every file folder represents another address <laughs> for uh, an escapee as it were who lives in their rv in Montana or uh, in Spain or wherever they wish to be. And for a cost that's pretty minimal, uh, escapees will forward, shred, or um, uh, digitize your mail for you. Um, and so all these people with this group, essentially, as far as it's legally um, term, they they live in Texas, and that has far-reaching uh, consequences for not only population, even though they're not even there, but um, for voting, say, mm -hmm. um, you have a town nearby of Livingston that's about 5,000 people. Well, what do you do when 10,000 ghost residents suddenly vote? <laughs> and this mm -hmm. is something that Escapees has had to fight for. Uh, Escapees is an organization that, that supports people that live on the road. It's this fascinating network that you've probably never heard of if you're not involved in the community. But they will give you a CPA. They will give you an attorney that can help you mm -hmm. file your taxes and can help you answer difficult questions. Um, they'll do all of these services for you that make it possible to live nowhere. Wow. <laughs> or everywhere mm -hmm. at all. But uh, and. And it's it's growing like crazy in the past couple of years. Yeah. Before we dive into to, the real politics of this, I'm just curious who these people are. Uh, you know, tell me why you guys decided to live in 72 square feet. Uh, you lived in Harlem before you moved or you took off on the road. So maybe you had a few more square feet. But why did you decide to do it? And, and are these not just older folks who want to, you know, save up their money and use their pension to put a down payment? These are all types of people, right? The um so the AAA did a study uh, some just a few years ago. They found that there are about one million people living on the road in America full time. Wow. Hmm. Uh, and there was another organization that that drilled down into the numbers, and they found that a much higher percentage of those people than you might think are under 65. We're not talking about necessarily just retirees. We're talking about millennials, um, in Gen X, and probably increasingly the Gen Z, the youngest generation now coming up, uh, who are, are looking at the systems that set up their life and they're saying, you know what, why why should I take out a $400,000 mortgage and be stuck here when I can build out a, a cool van or an RV for 10, 20,000 bucks? I mean, the sky's the limit depending on how bougie and fancy you want to get. But <laughs> Jason is very bougie and fancy. Freedom that I am. Well, the years I, can be one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars. Yes, big, I'm thinking I'm going to have to be over a hundred grand here. <laughs> but um, you know, but, I'm, I'm uh, interested. For example, in this we built, go, go ahead, go, go ahead, ahead, Chris. You, yeah, we built ours for five thousand um, dollars, plus the cost of the van. And you know, if you look on Craigslist, you can find a van for pretty cheap. It depends on how good you are at fixing mm. things, uh, depending on your comfort That's level. That's not bad that. though. Five grand. No, and that was for materials and then self-labor. We did it all ourselves in one month. The question as to why we did it, um, 
I had an opportunity to uh, be able to go around the country and tell stories. Uh, I wanted to embed in communities that are thinking differently about how people are living in America. And we thought, well, how could we ever afford to do that? We can't stay in hotels. We can't fly around the country all the time. And my wife said, why don't we build our own house? And I said, well, we can't do that. And she's like, well, I watched this YouTube video. These guys did it and they don't look special. And so we did it. And um, it took a lot of work, a lot of, you know, communication between us, you know, trying to figure these things out. Look, I didn't know how to change a tire in a car. I I don't have any skills. I've never used a power tool in my entire life. So uh, the learning curve was steep. Hmm. But uh, we lived in that sucker for two years almost. And uh, nothing fell apart. So we did something right. Wow. Well done, then. Uh, I I think it's interesting how all of this intersects with a couple of big things that are going on right now that have really kind of morphed what the quote unquote American dream is anymore. Uh, I think so many of us during the pandemic have looked at life again. You know, you take a a look with fresh eyes and you kind of question things about, you know, what you're doing and how you're living and what you want to do going forward. Uh, And so I would imagine that the pandemic has really lit this fire that was already uh, burning for a lot of people. Uh, beforehand. And then we have the real estate frenzy, which we just talked about on this podcast a couple of weeks ago. It's nuts. I mean, the prices, you know, so many people are saying there's no way that I'll ever be able to afford a home. But you know what? Maybe I don't want to afford a home. Maybe I would like to just head out on the road. And since so much work has gone virtual in the pandemic and may stay that way after, I can live like this and have that freedom that uh, Jason was dreaming about as a child and that I still (laughs) dream about as an adult. Yeah, it does come with trade-offs. Don't get me wrong. You are basically camping forever. And so one of the first questions I always ask when someone says, oh, I want to live in a van, I'm like, do you like camping? And sometimes they're like, oh, no. I'm like, well, then you're going to hate this. <laughs> you know, like you're, you're constantly looking for a place to sleep and stay. Um, what we found is that there are so many places in America that you can live rent free if you build your own systems, uh, have your own water systems, your own electricity. Um, and, and those are increasingly getting cheaper and cheaper to build. For example, solar power was prohibitively expensive some years ago and now it's it's really nothing just a couple Mm -hmm. upfront costs but it's not too much um and you can do so you can go so much farther out there um when you have your own systems and you're not reliant say on a grid or or something like that um but but you're right covid has increased the interest in this people have realized that maybe there's another way maybe the systems that they've been relying upon now that they have been stressed and they have fallen apart it, those systems don't have the faith that that people thought put them put into yeah. them before, um, and, and we see that uh, in companies that are building out vans are backed up like crazy. Uh, they're selling very high numbers right now, and even if you you know let's say you're a guy who just wants to get a delivery van, it's really difficult to just buy a van because on mm-hmm. one hand you've got Amazon buying every van, the other hand you've got all these people these digital nomads doing the same thing, so it can be very difficult to find one these days, and that tells me that. Uh, the interest is not necessarily going away. That, that's fascinating. I, I, I want to go back to the politics here, and, and I want to read a line you wrote in, in this article for the New Republic. Um, and just just for our listener too, if you want to read this article, which you should, it's fascinating. Uh, we're going to have a link to it in the description of our podcast here. But uh, a little ways into the article, you wrote six days a week, a semi trailer from the U.S. Postal Service backs down a slanted driveway behind a brick building about 75 miles north of Houston, to deliver mail for some 10,000 people who do not live there. I love the line, and you just, you just hit on that a moment ago. But, but here's what you said that ghost address allows them to do. They can vote, 
get a driver's license, register a vehicle. And because it's in Texas, obviously, uh, they don't have to pay a state income tax while they travel and work. This seems like it, it's kind of dicey. There might be room for, for abuse of this. But the Escapees RV Club has successfully defended this uh, against lawmakers and at the state Supreme Court. Yeah, part of what Escapees does is an activist group. It is a, I guess we can use the L word, it is a lobbyist group for RVers. And whenever they see uh, laws coming down that might infringe on an RVer's right uh, to live around the country, because uh, everybody needs to have some kind of domicile. Right. Um, it's really important just to be able to function, to have an address where your mail can go. Why not put that mailbox in a non-tax state? We're talking Tennessee, Texas, Florida, South Dakota. For example, in South Dakota, if you're an RVer, if you want to become a South Dakotan, you just have to spend one night in a South Dakota campsite, show your receipt, and then promise to come back when you're done traveling. You're now a South Dakotan. You get your plates, and you're on your way, and you have zero tax. Wow. Um, so everything that they've done, and they've they've had a team of attorneys that analyze the laws and look at it. This is all legal. It, it, you know, it's not it's not a loophole. It's just it's it's the rule. Um, and and it just so happens that they happen to be in no tax states. <laughs> you know, um, smart. And, and they've worked very hard to make sure they follow the rules and the laws, and they advise newcomers on how to do it without getting in any trouble. Well, I have a question then about that, because, you know, now we see this huge push in Texas uh, to to pass these new voting laws uh, that, you know, Republicans are behind. They call it voter integrity laws. Of course, Democrats say it's voter suppression laws, but it really is tightening up the process. And you wonder, uh, will they still be able to continue as they were? Will they be able to vote in Texas if they're not living here? Because, you know, specifically, Republicans are going after P.O. boxes, for example. This might be a real challenge for them. Yeah, we'll have to see what the governor ends up signing uh, at the end. But uh, like right now, so so Texas, uh, let's say, uh, compared to Florida, is a much more restrictive place to do vote by mail. You have to f- jump through a bunch of more hoops than you do in Florida. Um, so right now with escapees in Texas, you do have your um, mail-in ballot sent to a P.O. box. Um, and for a, it's a $5 fee that they'll charge you to send you your mail-in ballot, which is very reasonable for what the service they're offering. But you're right. Um we never know what is going to actually make it through the legislative process, but I guarantee you that the our, the Escapees RV Club and their attorneys are keeping a very close eye on this, and they will keep their clients aligned or uh, you know abreast of it. Um, and then if the law does change, I guarantee you they'll be able to find a way to make it work because um, they've been working within this system forever now and and making it work for for their members uh but it took it took a lot of effort in 2002 uh they took this a case all the way up to the texas supreme court about whether the members could vote they did a caravan in front of the supreme court back in t- 2002 and they won they won mm. their case and um i i think they'll they'll continue to fight and if if they lose something say they'll find a way to make it work you profiled a couple from austin you profiled a young woman named summer summer slevin i, I believe i may be pronouncing her name correctly, but did you get any idea how, how many people who are on the road actually take the time to cast ballots? 
You know, it's hard to see, look at those numbers, but we did have an election, uh, I think it was in 2010 uh, in, in Polk County, Texas, which is where the RV club is based, um, where there was some real concern about what would happen to have 10,000 people who don't live there voting in Polk County. What does that mean for local elections? Not even just federal or state, but um, how are they going to vote? And I, I think there was concern because a lot, they found that because so many of them were above 65 retirees that they would be perhaps even more conservative than the local um, people who actually have brick and mortar homes there. Um, but those concerns have kind of faded away. But that that was something that really popped up. I don't know the amount hmm. of people who are doing it, but they do have some 70,000 members. Some of those are children of the members that are included in that number. But that's a bulk of people that, that mm -hmm. are doing this. And, and that's just one service. There are other mail forwarding services and then other people have alternative ways that they, that they set their domicile, not just through that club. Um, maybe it's through family or some other business arrangement or something or social arrangement. But um, there's a lot of people out there wow. doing this. I wonder They, they might not change the presidential election, but it's still a fascinating subculture. They could sure uh, change one of these local elections, though, especially Correct. in a small county right. like that. Uh, I wonder, though, about the lobbyists who who work. Well, I mean, we're you know using that term loosely, but the right. lobbyists who who represent these these RV uh, folks, and you know, what do they? How do they lobby? What do they argue? I mean, uh, are they able to convince the state that somehow this community is beneficial to Texas if most of these people are generally not even here? They're not necessarily you know paying any kind of tax here, sales tax or otherwise. How do they benefit the state? Well, they, I mean, they've been successful so far. So whatever they're doing, <laughs> you know, has been pretty good. Um, but they they just keep a very close eye on moving legislation through Austin um, and, and in the other states where they operate because they have clubhouses in Florida and South, South Dakota. Um, and so they don't mess around in, in that regard. They also have you know, a very robust base of members who, mm. when they say, hey, we need your help, they will send letters. They will mm. call their member of Congress and they will flood them uh, because this is core to their lifestyle. It's really important that the systems that they have worked so hard to set up can continue to perpetuate um, into the future. And so, you know, imagine you're a local lawmaker and suddenly mm. 20,000 emails come in from <laughs> a bunch of very vocal people. Um, yeah. You know, there's power in organization and the RVers of America are organized. And Chris, getting back to one of the earlier questions about who these people are, is there a, is there a single profile or a pie chart you could put together of, of who these are, these young millennials or these, uh, you know, retirees or a little bit of both or, or who? Um, I, I think I put the numbers in the article and I don't have them right in front of me, but um, you know, you, you have probably, I, I, I want to say it was something like a little less than 50% were 65 and older. So, you know, a bulk of them yeah. are, are retirees for sure. But an increasing number of younger people are getting involved and, and doing this, things like this. And it's, it's not just the escapees RV clubs. You know, there's, there's people that do it independently are not part of yeah. these organizations. But um, when I was on the road, you're, you're talking, you know, like I'm a millennial, I'm mid 80s born, right? White, you know, that I, I fit the profile pretty strongly um, some you know went to college and is able to uh, have um, a kind of work that can be done digitally you see a lot of that but I, I think you're you're going to start to see movements and you are seeing movements trying to diversify uh, so-called van life and RV life there are organizations that try to support people that don't necessarily look like I do um, to encourage them uh, because it is a, it is a very like young and, and white subculture hmm. um, certainly uh, that 
Yeah. And that's just because of, of just certain demographic pushes and things that make, you know, these things the way they are. Um, but, but I think you'll start to see a lot more types of people get involved. I, I just watched Nomadland not long ago, and I'm, I'm curious, first, if you've seen it, and, and secondly, is that a good sort of look at what the life is like? Yeah, I wrote a review of Nomadland for Outside Magazine, and it is the closest thing you can get to a documentary about this hmm. lifestyle. One thing that Nomadland does wonderfully is... It, let's say you Google the term van life. You're going to see a lot of very sexy 20 somethings who don't seem to wear pants very often <laughs> in perfect <laughs> RV or vans at sunset. Jason, this is you, man. He, he's talking, he's describing you, Jason. <laughs> Except yeah, for the 20 something part. Jason yes. with his shirt off, looking out <laughs> to the ocean and the sun is there and there's, you know, whatever. This is, this is the thing you see. So nomad land, and the book, it's based on a, on a nonfiction book, right. uh, looks at the baby boomers that never recovered from the Great Recession in 2008. Their mm -hmm. jobs were lost. Their life savings were gone. However, they lost it. They never made the bounce back up. And so they, for no, without any other hope, they moved into these vans and built these communities um, all around the country. And I use community loosely, but it is community. Um, mm -hmm. and, and how they survived in America that kind of, once, once the American economy was done with them, kicked them to the curb and said, good luck. And mm -hmm. they banded together. And, and one of the wonderful things about Nomadland is there's only a couple professional actors in yeah. the film. Most of the people are real folks who I remember. <laughs> I mean, real people that I've talked to. Oh, um, wow. and, and oftentimes uh, they told their real stories. And so when I say that it's a close to a documentary, those people were not faking it. They were doing what they probably would have done on a documentary. You just had an excellent actress um, oh, she's in amazing. the lead who carried the show. I saw her more of a of kind of a host of the documentary than, yeah. a, you know, a fictional character. And, and I was like a traffic that. cop in there just sort of helping to tell the story. That's but exactly it was fascinating right. how they were able to to weave a, a sort of a documentary with a drama at the same time. It was yes. very well done. And it was and it's eye opening if you're not in that community, as you call it, uh, because you see that this is a whole subculture and it's not a small subculture. No, it, it's not. And it it does show the different generations. It's intergenerational and people have different styles and ways about it. But uh, it, it also showed, there were so many small things that I noticed as someone who has lived in a van. There's a scene in the beginning where I think she's in a sporting goods store and there's a comfortable chair and she just takes mm -hmm. a minute to sit in the chair <laughs> indoors. Because when you live in a van, you're technically like, you're outside all the uh -huh. time. And to be in a space inside where no one's gonna push you away, you just take that minute and you're like, I'm inside. Okay, Have you I'm done a, that? I'm a human being. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, I, we were in the van before the pandemic. And so we spent long days in public libraries and coffee shops, um, <laughs> any space that we could be without having to, you know, be pushed, you know, move along. But you do find yourself a little bit animalistic because you're mm -hmm. outside and you realize how much you just desperately long for a hearth to yeah. have an indoor space where you are welcome uh, you well, I mean, according that. to the movie, sometimes you're like going to the bathroom in a hole and then covering it up. You know, I mean, that is very it is. It happens. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, and everybody has a different bathroom situation, <laughs> you know, um, and certainly couples that travel in their vans um, oftentimes 
don't have separate bathrooms. You see, they have, they just figure it out. Um, and you can mm-hmm. use your imagination how they do. Uh, <laughs> people get very creative, but it's, it's just a part of living that life. Um, it, it's the trade-off. You get the freedom, but sometimes you got to poop in a bucket. <laughs> That's the title of the podcast, I think, right there. I think we, we found, found our title. This is it. But here's the last thing I have for you, and and we'll let you get back uh, on the road there, even though you're planted in Chattanooga. Um, you guys lived in 72 square feet. You did it for two years. Um, I, I would think that there's a shelf life to, to all this. And, and with the economy coming back, even though there's still 17 million people without jobs, with the economy coming back, you predicted this would be going on for a while, but it seems like there there might be opportunity to to plant people uh, in, in buildings. Help me out with that one there. Yeah, it's a really interesting question because what is being built now are co-living spaces for van lifers huh. that want to live in some sort of community, but want to continue having the freedom to live in, in their vans. Um, there's an organization and a couple organizations that you're going to start to see a lot more of where it's a space, let's say that has a shared kitchen and shared bathrooms and shared facilities. Um, but it's a place where you can park your van for a fee and be part of a community, but also have, you know, your, your van, your home with you. And then there's another one a thousand miles away near a different city and you can go there and you can have these little pod communities. Um, because I really do think that it's not just about RV or van living or nomadic living. It's about shaking off the idea that there's one way to mm-hmm. live, that there are multiple creative ways that we can live our lives in America, that this American dream that really came out of the Cold War 1950s post, post-World post War II idea um, is not working for a lot of people. And uh, I don't know if you've seen the statistics, but doesn't seem to be making people incredibly happy either. Mm-hmm. And so what what my journey in the van was about was trying to find the people that are experimenting and trying to do something different and perhaps having more happiness at the end it's just going to be hard to quantify we'll have to see how it shakes out but they're redefining the american dream we don't have to have this 1950s idea of the house and the picket fence and the job that you have for 40 years what job do you have for 40 years anymore especially you know y'all are in journalism i'm in journalism Good Lord, they lay people off like it's nothing in this industry. Um, And we see that in other ones, too. My grandfather worked for the same company for decades. I don't think I, well, I never have, certainly, and I don't think Mm -hmm. my kids will either. And so I think it's going to be important that they're able to take control of their own systems um, in ways that other people might have abdicated uh, to larger governments or organizations. Uh, This just gives you that much more freedom to take ownership of where, how, and with whom you live. Wow. As you're sitting here, though, in a very comfy-looking structure, do you do you miss being out there? Do you do you think you'd do it again? Well, I still have the van, um, and we take trips out as much as we can, you know, to get out into the woods. Um, but I will say that I do live in a 350 square foot micro apartment uh, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So I didn't get too comfy just yet here. Uh, that's know, five times bigger than what I you know, were in. It's absolutely palatious, honestly, where we live now. But I do have hot running water in ways that I didn't before and unlimited electricity. I don't have to check the uh, 
the, the solar power to make sure that I can heat up my coffee anymore. And no bathroom yeah, bucket. no buckets. And no bucket. Actual toilet. I am fancy, you guys. <laughs> I tell you. I'm feeling like I'm rich in this 350-square-foot apartment. But no, you, you do get the itch to get back out there. Um, and I think people might even continue to do hybrid lives where they have a little crash pad apartment, but they got yes. their van parked outside. Maybe go spend the next three months living in the mountains of northern New Mexico. Wow. You know, so long as we got a Wi-Fi account, let's do it. Wow. I think you may have uh, talked me into it, and, and I don't have a problem going in a bucket if it means that kind of freedom uh, like that. TMI, Jason, TMI. <laughs> we talk about everything on this podcast. The, the uh, article that, that Chris wrote is in the New Republic. It just came out uh, at the very end of March. It's called The Agony and the Ecstasy of Living Nowhere. Chris is a brilliant writer. He's a hell of an interview, and uh, we appreciate your time from Chattanooga, man. And if you get back out on the road, hit us up, man. We'd like to see where you are. I, you know, we don't need to see the whole bucket scene, but we would like to see the uh, the 72 <laughs> square feet of the uh, Ford Transit van. I will do that. Guys, thanks for having me on the show. This was great. Chris, thank you. That was awesome. That's our podcast uh, for this week. Uh, remember, we're going to have a link to Chris's article in the synopsis uh, of, of this uh, episode here. And we'll have new episodes yeah. out every Tuesday. Hope to see you again next week. And as soon as we're fully vaccinated, Jason, I say we get our own little RV and just travel Texas. And, and Not and a bad idea, but we're not sharing buckets, my friend. Well, we'll take two <laughs> buckets then. <laughs>